the leopard just sat there, froze, didn't move a muscle looking at us. Then suddenly it dropped down on all fours on its belly and it crept along the ditch and out of sight. And everyone just looked at each other in disbelief thinking, wow, was that real what we just saw? You say, well, I've seen this big cat, and some people just flatly refuse. They think that Britain's such a sweet little island, we shouldn't have predators that size. I heard this growl behind me, nothing like a dog's growl. And just like anything else in life, you're sat on your own there. I don't care who you are, how brave you are. Something like that will put the shivers up your spine. As she was walking before the cub came out, she flicked this tail. She literally flicked it in the air. And I simply could not believe what I was seeing. It was the most extraordinary feeling. It threw its head back, he said, and it made this sort of round. But when you actually realize that there are big cats living in Britain, it changes everything. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. Why are unofficial big cats being seen and could these cats even be naturalizing without us knowing? If you've had a big cat encounter in Britain and would like to discuss it, email me at rick at bigcatconversations.com. You can find other episodes on the website bigcatconversations.com. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. This is episode 11, and we've got an urban focus in this show. Our guest is from Gateshead in northeast England, and we're going to be talking about Florida as well as Gateshead, and that's quite a contrast. So we'll unravel that in a minute after a couple of announcements. First of all, thanks to everyone who's been in touch over the last couple of weeks with information and with reports. It's so useful to hear back from people, so please feel free to get in touch whenever you want. We're looking for witnesses from Pembrokeshire in southwest Wales and from Cannock Chase in Staffordshire, so we can do future episodes about those two areas. They are places which have certainly been busy with reports, to my knowledge, in the past, so if anyone can help from those locations, please let me know. Our main discussion for this show will be on pumas, and I guess that many people listening, especially in Britain, will have just seen the dramatic TV footage on BBC of a mother puma stalking guanacos, the wild llamas, in Patagonia in Chile in South America. On the Big Cat Conversations website under episode 11, we've put a link to the BBC clips of that footage from Patagonia. There'll be other photos of pumas tackling guanacos on the website. One of those pictures is from the latest Wildlife Photographer of the Year collection. There's a remarkable picture of a female puma thrusting itself at the neck of a guanaco, about to go in for the predatory bite. And the Wildlife Photographer of the Year collection will be touring Britain's museums and galleries soon, and the book is already on sale. Looking at the dangers facing pumas as they get a bumpy ride as they try and tackle a guanaco, it seems it would be far easier and less risky to snack on rabbits and smaller prey. And that, in fact, takes us directly to this episode where we're considering what a puma does in and around a park in urban Gateshead. 
we welcome Gareth, who lives in Gateshead. And I really appreciate Gareth coming on at short notice because he's had a recent sighting in October 2019, which he's going to tell us all about. And Gareth, welcome. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Okay. And in fact, Gareth, we're going to be talking about Gateshead and North East England, but we're actually going to start in Florida because you were lucky enough to see a puma when you were on holiday in Florida a few years ago. Could we hear all about that, please? Yes. It wasn't just me who saw it. There was literally quite a lot of people seen the puma at the same time. There's a water park in Florida. There's lots of them, but there's one called Aquatica, which is associated with SeaWorld. The Aquatica Water Park has some really tall slides in. And we were walking up the stairs. When I say we, I mean myself, my wife, and my mother, and my daughter. And lots of other people were queuing up the stairs. What first took my attention was, we looked out because it looked over some wasteland outside of the car park. And we saw this sort of like nice little lake there. And in the tree next to the lake was an osprey. So that got us looking at first over that direction. And then we spotted... Everyone first thought was a dog in the grasses. If you imagine it kind of circular grassland, and in the middle of the circle was a deer feeding. And this, what we thought was a dog initially, this dog was stealthily circling around the grass trying to get to this deer. And then we realized it's not a dog. The way it moved and the way it, it kept such a low profile and the way it was hunting this deer, you could tell it wasn't a dog. A dog would go in kind of gung ho. When we were looking at it a bit more closely, we all agreed, wow, it's a puma. It was a puma actually about to attack that deer. We were about four or five stories up, so we had this great aerial view of this all happening. What a situation. You're very lucky. And, and what happened? So what happened was initially went in this, this one way into the grasses. For whatever reason, it wasn't very comfortable, the cat, about its approach to the deer. So it, it almost reversed out and then went round again to um, its left and then went in again into the grass, stealthily. I mean, you've, you've seen a cat when it's in stealth mode, really low to the ground, and it almost disappeared into the grass, ready to pounce. And then again, it reversed out again. It wasn't comfortable for whatever reason. Came out again and went round further to the left in a circular grass area, dropped down again really low, and slinked into the longer grass, looking for a, an opportunity to pounce, really. We watched this for about, I'd say, five to ten minutes, mesmerised, at what was going to be the fate of this poor deer <laughs> that was being stalked by the puma. So ultimately what happened was um, the deer must have got scent of the puma. It became startled. It became aware of the situation and it ran. I don't think the deer had seen the cat, but it must have smelt it. It became all from a grazing position to all very self-aware this deer was. And it ran. And the cat, it just disappeared. It slinked off. Realised it lost its opportunity and slinked off into some uh, nearby trees. I presume that you all knew you were very lucky to have such a sighting from an aerial vantage point as well. Well, there was some of our family who weren't there. And when we went down and talked about, we were all high as kites because we realised what a lucky privilege it was to see that. And a lot of my family, who are all nature lovers, were very jealous of the situation. But do you know what it is? There must have been about 40 or 50 people on that staircase all observed the same thing. Yeah. And you heard some Americans shouting, is that a dog? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And we were saying, what? It's a puma? They live in your country, those pumas. <laughs> and we were, we were informing them what they were saying, you know. There was about 15 of us in the end who didn't worry about the queuing situation anymore and was sat and was, sorry, we stood and we just observed what was going on. We were letting people go past us 
who weren't that interested, you know. Yeah. Do Do you think it had been at it sussing out this deer and getting the right position and angle for attack for a while, even before you started watching it? Possibly, because we didn't see it walk up to the area. We only seen it when it first backed out and went back into the grass. And we wouldn't have seen it at all if we hadn't have been looking at the osprey that was in the tree nearby. And eventually we looked down and saw that movement and we thought, wow, what's that? Yeah. And we saw the deer and then we saw the cat and we were just absolutely mesmerised. Splendid, yes. And of course, in Florida, the puma there is called the Florida panther to confuse things. And they are at a very low ebb in numbers. And every time a male, especially, is killed on the highway, you know, it really is bad news for the gene pool, as it were. So they do have to go to real effort to try and save the population, the subspecies there. In fact, in the latest edition of the Wildlife Photographer of the Year book, which is out with all the sort of winning photographs, there is a five-page photo spread of the Florida panther, the the puma in Florida, which is lovely to see to give that some promotion. But Gareth, you're probably one of the only people ever who has seen a puma in its native country, America, and back here in the UK, in your hometown around the corner from where you live in in Gateshead. Could you tell us all about what happened a couple of weeks ago, early one morning when you were dog walking? Yeah, equally amazing. Just going back to the Florida thing very briefly, though. Yeah. what what's what was amazing about it is this panther, Florida panther that we've seen, it was literally in Orlando. I kind of understand because Orlando is full of vegetation in between the park areas, you know, forests and vegetation. Yeah. But it just proves that they can live literally anywhere, can't they? Oh, absolutely, yes. That amazed me. Yeah. Yeah. So back in Gateshead in October two thousand nineteen, please tell us all about what happened. Yeah. I've got a, a pet dog who's a Hungarian Vizsla. And she's full of energy, needs lots of walks. So my job on a Sunday morning is to walk the dog, no matter what the weather. It's 20 in the morning, I was walking, and it was a quite a low mist, and it was a really damp, drizzly, horrible day. So anyway, I walked the dog about, I'd say, half a mile from here, and I took her to this local uh, nature reserve in Gateshead. I often walk her up there simply because there's lots of other dog walkers up there, and my dog, she loves to play with other dogs. So I walked up there. The dog was off the lead because it's, it's all open grassland and, and woods. I was walking up a hill. I was very aware that there was, there was no dog walkers around that morning. I think it was just a little bit too wet and a bit too foggy and a bit too damp for them to walk too far, I guess. And I was a bit disappointed because I thought, well, my poor dog's got no one to play with today, you know? <laughs> and, and then I, as I was going up this hill, I thought what I saw was a dog in the distance. The initial thought was, oh, fantastic, there's a dog. So Daisy, my dog, will have someone to play with. So, you know, I, I was a little bit happier that I'd seen this dog. As I went up the hill, this dog came around the corner and started walking diagonally away from me. Now, on the right-hand side of the dog, the so-called dog, was woodland and quite thick scrub, bramble bushes, etc. On the left hand of it, there was a big playing field where the dogs would... It's, it's not cut grass. It's not like football pitch grass. It's like a lot of kept quite short the grass, so dogs can play there, to give you some idea. And this dog was walking up a, like a coal pathway, an old coal mine pathway, if you can imagine that. Mm. So the, the, it was a gravelly, black gravel. So anyway, I thought, yeah, there's a dog, fantastic. My dog can now go and play. And then I, I looked around and there was no owner. I was thinking, wow, is that a stray dog? There's no owner in sight. So my eyes went back to the dog. And my second thought was, that dog's walking really funny. I thought, maybe it's a really old dog. I was thinking in my mind at the time, this is my thought process as it was going. 
I thought that's an old golden retriever who's absolutely had his day <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he's walking really funny, you know, like an old man. Yeah. Because it was walking so funny, I started observing it a bit more closely and carefully. I, I quickly kind of realised that it wasn't a dog. It was a big cat. It was a huge cat. And when I'm saying golden retriever, the reason I thought that initially was, it was a golden colour, sandy golden colour on top, but had a distinct white underside. Yeah. And that was the thing that made me realise it definitely wasn't a golden retriever because they kind of have a, like, the same colour all, all over, mm. uh, retrievers. And this definitely had a white underside compared to its upper coat. So I started looking a bit more closely and I started thinking, wow, unless my mind's playing games with me here, that's a big cat. I'll explain later why I know there's big cats in the country, but I'll come on to that later. When I realised what it was, I know how crazy and mad my dog is. She's, she's mad as a hatter. And I knew if, if I didn't call her over, she would run over to that. I think there was a dog as well and try to play with it, which could have ended up in tragedy. So I, I called my dog over. I said, Daisy, come. And she's quite good. She came over to me. But as I said that word, Daisy, this cat looked back at me. I must have startled it because it mustn't have known I was there because the mm. window was in my face. So she couldn't have smelt us, didn't see us. I startled the cat. It jumped about six to eight foot in the air on a right turn into the bushes, into the gorse, into the woodland. I'd say about six to eight foot jump, a massive jump. Couldn't believe my eyes. And then two smaller jumps and then disappeared into the woods. So I realised then what my eyes were telling me was a big cat was confirmed. It was 100% a big cat because a dog simply cannot do that from a standing start. And if it was a dog, I would have thought it would run back towards me or continuing the path, mm. or going onto the field. But no, no, this took the hardest course, which was through the gorse, through the brambles, through the woods. And the way it reacted, it was terrified to actually hear a human voice and catch it un unawares like that. It reacted as if you'd caught a cat out, give a young cat a fright, a domestic cat. Yeah. The way they reacted, like the spring up, don't they? Mm. That's, what, that's how it behaved. Very interesting. You didn't see a collar on it, which a dog would have on it, is that right? No colour, no. You were telling me off air, you didn't really see it side on. You weren't able to gauge the length of the tail. I could see it had a tail, don't get me wrong, but I couldn't give you an accurate statement on how long or any kind of length perception because it was walking diagonally away from me. Yeah. Uh, same with its head. I couldn't really get a great view of its head. Um, apart when it briefly looked round at me when I shouted and then done that jump. But I did see the way it was walking. I did see its colouring and I did see athleticism that this cat had was incredible yeah and you were saying when we discussed this before you came on the actual part it's very scrubby and shaggy and full of rabbits yeah. that would have some prey and feeding area for a cat yes 100 percent. i've seen many foxes in there as well actually there's rabbits up there there's pheasants there is partridge and pigeons yeah i want about wood pigeons yeah yeah loads of them around as well yeah so if you're a big cat in that area you wouldn't be hungry. Yeah. And as you said, it's got brambles to shelter and lay up in and other mm -hmm. sort of long vegetation and cover. Now, if you look at it on a map, it's very residential. Part of the outskirts of Gateshead District are very rural and, and very scenic, actually. But the sort of northern half, closer to the River Tyne, is all very residential, isn't it? This is enclosed by residential areas. It's got a school adjacent to it. Yeah. But it has also got green corridors out from it and golf courses within a couple of miles in two directions so you feel the surrounding area is actually well can you describe the surrounding area i certainly can yeah what, what i would say about the area is i do not believe for one minute that the, this cat was living in that area mm. but i do think it was passing through let's say it was a quite a foggy day 
So I think it was taking advantage of the low light and the fog and continued on his business. I was just really, really fortunate to catch it and, and see it. But the area, because I talked to my wife about this, who doesn't believe it was one for one moment for whatever reason. Huh. But <laughs> that's, that's another story. Yeah. Um, but that, there's corridors, green corridors to this one location in about five different ways. And you'd only have to cross a, maybe a road or a small pathway through an estate to get to this location. So it could have came from any direction or went in any direction. For example, there's, there's unused train tracks mm-hmm. all filtered into there. There's golf courses filtered into there. There's a nature park that filters onto that. You could easily get there and out of there without ever being detected. Very similar to parts of suburban Florida for Florida panthers, the puma in Florida, and Californian mm. pumas. They don't all live in remote rural areas. They do inhabit the suburbs, and at night time, nobody will see them as they slink through those green corridors between residential areas. So um, once the cat jumped into those bushes, yeah, I was that amazed and full of adrenaline. I ran over there to try and follow it into the bushes, which you probably think is a bit daft now. <laughs> but at the time, I, just, I wasn't thinking that way. I just thought, I, I want to see it again. So I went over there and tried to follow it in. I got about two steps in there, and it became that thick and brambly and prickly. You just couldn't get any further in there, you know. Mm. Your dog was tightly on a lead at this stage. No, I had a hold of my dog when I called her, and you know when when it bounced away. But then I let her back off again. She had a really good sniff around the area. She she smelled something. Okay. So she could smell that cat. That's for sure. But yeah, um, I, I was really hoping I could be, I could follow it in there, but just to get another glance at it. It was just too thick to win. It had melted away. Since then, Gareth, you were telling me that you didn't want to mention it in the media, but you did feel you would have a quiet chat to other dog walkers just to A, alert them to the yes. prospect of seeing a cat in the early morning or dusk and yeah. see if anybody else had come across any sightings or signs of it. Is that right? Yeah, I've spoke to one or two dog walkers. And what's interesting is the, the raised eyebrows when I've talked to them about it. But none of them have dismissed the idea of hand. And so far, I've had no feedback of other sightings or anything like that. Mm. People are now hopefully a bit more aware. Yeah. And hopefully have their eyes peeled and you just never know what might be seen again, you know? Yes. And I think that is a wise way of networking about it rather than just blab to those local papers. If, of course, not everybody would believe you in, in those situations, but those who did, might, some of them might be alarmed. And just to yeah. keep it below the radar and to let word spread informally amongst those people who do want to talk about it, that's probably the best idea, I think. And I think a lot of other people do exactly the same as you chose to do about that. Well, you're quite right what you say because people will laugh and scoff yeah. at the idea of a puma being in Gateshead. I mean, when I came home and told my wife, <laughs> she thought it was hilarious that I thought I'd seen one. But yeah, that's what we were contend with, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Until she sees it herself. Yeah, you know, so I, I can't the... force it to believe anything, can I? No, I mean, that happens in a lot of families. And... Yeah. And yes, and yes, she was there in Florida with me at my side when we seen that other one. Yes. She's experienced it herself. I think the idea of experiencing that in this country is just a little bit too far for her yeah, to comprehend sure. at this point. Uh, when I walked over to where it was, before I got to the thick part where I dove into, I saw a domestic cat. This domestic cat looked terrified. <laughs> I don't know whether this puma was stalking that cat or not. I don't know. But what mm. I do know is it was inside the hedgerow where it bound into. This little domestic cat looks happy to see me. <laughs> <laughs> compared to what I was facing up to before, you know. So, yeah, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? I, I can't say for sure it was look, yeah. looking at that cat, but um, it makes you wonder. It may be that if you hadn't have come along and made it hurry away, 
it might have encountered the domestic cat and thought, oh, there's a bit of breakfast that I'll uh, dispatch because that can happen, Definitely. certainly. So very interesting, yeah. 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 And, and presumably there would be, so close to residential areas, other residential cats who treat that green space as part of their beat who would come out and not be expecting to be encountering a big puma. Exactly. Yeah. Your parents have seen one years ago, you were saying. My parents are very fortunate, <laughs> my mother in particular. So I'll take you back to 1974. Gosh. Now, the reason I know there's big cats in this country is my mum and dad often relayed this experience to me that they had. In 1974, they were in a place called Pease Bay. Now, that's on the coast between Berwick and Edinburgh. Okay. So, so it's on the northeast coast. They were up there camping. My mum and my dad, my two uncles, they went for a walk in the woods. As they were walking in the woods, all four of them saw a lynx walk past them. They were saying 50 or 60 yards away just. I walked past them, stopped, looked at them in the eye. They looked at it. It turned back to where it was uh, pointing and walked away again. And that was in 1974. So I don't know when the dangerous animal attacks came in. 76. 76. So, so that was before then. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was laughing. I was watching a documentary the other day about rewilding Scotland and putting links back in there. And I was thinking, they've already got links. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have plenty of people saying that. Yeah. yeah. That was the first experience that my mum and dad had. It must have been reassuring that all four of them saw it and presumably you know, swapped notes and confirmed mm-hmm. to each other that it was such an animal and not a fox or a deer or something. Well, what I'll say about my dad, he's a minister. He's not the kind of person who's going to lie to you, you know, first yeah. of all. Gosh. But also the fact that they all love the wildlife programmes, you know. And they love walking and they love wildlife generally. So I trust their identification of an animal. Yeah. Um, so when they're saying it's a lynx, and all four of them said it was a lynx, I kind of trust that. That's what exactly what they're seeing. Yeah. And you reckon they got the scale right? Because there could be sometimes, you know, I think people do miss sight of something like a Maine Coon cat or another designer cat for a lynx. And they yeah, get the scale was it, wrong. Yeah. Was it designer cats back in 1974, though? Well, yeah. Yeah. I, but don't, I don't know. Not like savannah cats now or. Um, well, no. Maine Coons would have been around, but I think they Perhaps, you know, they don't yeah. look quite as wild in, unless they've gone feral. Well, the description my dad gave was, she is about the size of a Labrador. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's not funny how many people say that. It's yeah. about the size of a Labrador. He says in height yes, um, and, and length, but he says far skinnier. It had those pointy ears, yes. lynx, that gives a lynx away. Sure. And it had no tail. Yeah, that is distinctively different from a Maine Coon cat. Yeah. So the description they gave to me was certainly verified to me anyway that, that was definitely a lynx at the scene. Yeah, very interesting. And and then um, another sighting, wasn't there, in County Durham? That's right. That was just a few years ago. I believe it was about 2015. So my mum and dad have got a camper van and often go away camping in the camper van to various nature spots where they'll go cycling and what have you. And my mum's not brilliant on a push bike, so my dad decided to buy a tandem. <laughs> So <laughs> he, he saw one advertised in a place called Wolsingham, which is not too far from here in Durham. So to travel to Wolsingham from where we are, you go up past Concert. I don't know if you know the area, but it's, it's quite... Yeah, the old steelworks, massive old steelworks there, wasn't there, in the past? Yeah. And from Concert to, over to Wolsingham, you're going over Moorland, you know. It was a very, very hot July summer's day, and we're driving along in a camper van, travelling about 40, 50 miles an hour. Dad takes his 10 minutes. About 100 yards in front of him, a black leopard jumped over a wall onto the road, crossed the road. And he says, you have to remember, Gareth, I was driving 50 miles an hour. It was 100 yards away when I first came over the wall. He says we were parallel with it when it jumped over the other wall to the other side. 
So he says, me and your mum got a very, very close look at this leopard. And he doesn't use the word panther because my dad knows panther's not actually the terminology. It's a black leopard that they said, yeah. that they seen. So they're both my mum and my dad, both adamant, that's what it was. It was a black leopard that they seen. It was a summer's evening. Um, they said it was about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. So the sun was still up, but obviously it was dusk was approaching, and that's when they seen it. Incredible that they seen that, that a lynx and a puma. Um, in yes. their lifetime is, is just unbelievable. Yes, two different parts of the of the northeast. Yeah. Yes. Anything particular about the the black leopard sighting, about the tail or the sort of movement or yeah. so, anything in particular? So my me, me, me dad's very descriptive, and he described. He says, "Gareth says people always compare things to Labradors." He says, "I've done it myself with the lynx." He says, "But this was twice the length of a Labrador, wow. and he says about a foot higher than a Labrador. He says it was tall." He says also he says um, yellow eyes. Gosh, so they're close enough to see the saw eyes. The eyes. Yeah. He says yellowy eyes. He did mention the tail, but he didn't really talk about the length of it. But he says, yeah, seen his tail. He says, and the way it jumps, the way it walks, the way it behaved, the way it looked at them, he says there's absolutely no disputing what it was. And, yeah. and they both had this verbal confirmation conversation straight after it. Have we just seen a leopard? Yes, you've just seen a leopard. <laughs> yes, we've just seen a yeah. leopard, you know. Yeah. Very, very fortunate to see that. And you were saying that you hadn't heard of any other sightings in Gateshead of a puma, um, so it was a real shock and surprise to you. But you felt that, probably like a lot of other parts of the country, most witnesses would keep things to themselves because it is such a striking, unusual event uh, that possibly wouldn't be believed by the majority of people. And that was the same case with your parents' sightings, is, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. I only heard about this myself about a year and a half ago, came up in conversation. I said, Dad, I said, who have you talked about this? He said, oh, this is nobody. He said, I'm telling you now, though. I said, oh, well, well, thanks for sharing it. I said, have you not mentioned to the authorities or have you mentioned it to any, any big cat websites? So he said, no, no, no. He says, me and your mum seen it, we know what we've seen. And that was enough for him, you know? Yeah. But how many people are like me, Dad, who, who see things, marvel at it, and then don't say anything else? Perhaps the majority. I, I suspect it is the majority, and that we we get a sort of you know smaller proportion of the actual sightings reported to big cat websites or big cat people like me and some of you know my network of people or the police or local papers. It probably is the the minority of reports get actually conveyed somewhere. Yeah. If anybody does have reports, they do want to pass them on. I can relay them mm-hmm. to Ian, who is involved in the Northeast Mammals Group. The problem is, if it goes quiet, people get inactive, and I think it has gone quiet in the Northeast. Yes. And so the recording process has gone quiet because of that. So it's a sort of reinforcing situation, isn't mm-hmm. it? Even when you're active and pursuing reports, some people will still keep it quiet for their own reasons. It makes it more shocking for somebody like you, who it was totally unexpected. You hadn't heard of any gossip, had you, in the in the locality? No, only the similar thing I've I've read or seen was even in Chronicle had a report about a couple of ladies who were in a college a college window in Benton, Newcastle, uh, which is quite a little barrier as well, and they mm-hmm. observed for about twenty minutes a puma sniffing around the local area, but they observed it for some time. That was in the newspaper, but other than that, there's very little. Mentioned about pumas in the northeast. Yes, it's nice to be visiting the northeast and you know giving its due recognition now. So and if we get more reports from the northeast as a result, that's great. And, and I will relay them on to the main recorder Ian, who's based there and who's still very very interested. And he's a real mammal expert, yeah. so he's the right person to be receiving them. And I know he'll be very grateful, and he will follow them up Good. with people. But but Rick, what I would say about the northeast is 
if you're a big cat and you could live anywhere in this country, you'd probably pick the northeast. Because apart from Middlesbrough, <laughs> apart from Newcastle, Gateshead, maybe perhaps Sunderland, there's nothing apart from the odd, yeah. odd, the odd town in between. In between those areas, it is very rural. Yeah, and there are some hotspots. There's some ongoing reports over the years in places like Slaley Forest, uh, the the huge forests on the yes. on the County Durham Northumberland border. That's Slaley Forest, isn't it? I've had some yeah. from there. And Tyndale, just east of Corbridge, that area, that's had reports ongoing for, for many years. So yes. there we are. You know, there is some consistency. A quick break now for our word of the week. And the word is introgression. And it's all about gene diversity. The dictionary definition of introgression is the transfer of genetic information from one species to another as a result of hybridization between them and repeated backcrossing. And it's sort of similar to what a dog breeder might relate to as outbreeding, the introduction of different genes into a species or a breed as it breeds on to get more gene diversity. And the result may be a refined and fitter individual. In this episode, we've already mentioned the puma in Florida, And as we've heard earlier in the show, there have been concerns about how critically low the numbers of the Florida puma subspecies have become. Low numbers means a far less viable population, of course, but it also means inbreeding happening, resulting in genetic disorders. Because of these problems, a type of introgression has been used to try to reinforce the Florida pumas in recent years. In the mid-1990s, eight female pumas from around the corner in Texas were introduced to Florida, and at that time the numbers were lower than 50. The monitoring shows that five of those eight introduced Texas pumas produced a total of at least 20 kits initially. This helped with breeding and expanding the population. Today the Florida pumas have increased to up to 230. That's still a worrying low number because they want to get to around 600, but it's still way better than the 50 or 30 or so, however low it got, in the mid-90s. So turning to Britain, we might think that our big cats would suffer in breeding and would be a motley collection because they originate from zoo stock and from collections. But the majority of witnesses describe fit and healthy and confident cats. Whatever the numbers might be in Britain, our big cats present now may have benefited from gene diversity because of the different episodes of releases we've had, perhaps ranging from wartime, the 1976 Dangerous Wild Animals Act, the 81 Zoos Act and various other releases because of recession and dubious activities. So the different subspecies of leopards and the range of pumas that seem to have been released here in Britain may have helped gene diversity and might well explain why we appear at present to have healthy and well-adapted cats from what we can gather from the reports. Now, of course, we need much firmer evidence to base these assumptions on, but I'm throwing this out there for now. So that's our word of the week, introgression. Well, finally, Gareth, and the question we ask everybody, and there's no wrong answer, whatever you think, what do you reckon about big cats living wild in Britain? Well, I think it's absolutely brilliant, is my honest answer, but that's me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a bit of caution in that there seem to be more and more sightings throughout Britain. So I understand that obviously they're breeding, they must be breeding, but what happens when there's that many cats, they do become a nuisance, do you know what I mean? 
and they do start affecting things and they do start interacting with people in towns and villages like they do in Mumbai, for example. So, yes, I think it's all calm and all nice now. I think people are very lucky to see them now. But what happens 20 years down the line? I can't predict how it's going to go, but if you want to see the future, look at the past. It's normally, if one is a nuisance, it's a sort of atypical example, and you then have to think about how you intercept that individual. It's normally a question of intercepting it if you can. It's not like they're all going to become a nuisance. You know, it's one individual Mm -hmm. could be, or a very selective few could be a nuisance for some particular reason. And I think that's already happening to some extent now. I think sometimes one is a nuisance to a sheep farmer in an area or to a stables and freaking out the horses. And that's often, I think, it's a young, inexperienced one that's separated from its mother too early. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't become confident. It hasn't become a very confident deer killer yet, which is its routine behaviour. And so it is learning the ropes and it's out of its comfort zone and it's going for the wrong kind of prey. So I don't think it's about numbers. I think it's about the individual circumstances. And don't forget, you know, in the Western states of America, you know, 30 to 50,000 of these creatures and people very rarely see them. And it's very rare that one is a nuisance. And in terms of numbers, that's a difficult one, but you know, they only have litters of between one and three, and, and maybe one won't survive anyway. And females sexually active at sort of around three years old and then might only have two or three litters in her whole life because she may not meet the male every, every key time, a key opportunity in estrus mm-hmm. during her life in a location where there's a very low population base. So I do understand, but other people say, you know, what about the future? What about decades' time? It's not like a big, large carnivore has a massively expanding population like sort of herbivores do. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, I think it's a cautionary note that you raise, Gareth. So it's very, thinking, very important. I was thinking more of a leopard, for example, will have its own territory, its own range. But if yeah. you've got 10 leopards in an area, they've all got their range taken. Any further yeah. leopards that come into the area haven't got anywhere to go, apart from maybe the more rural area. And in those situations, maybe then there'll be more interaction between humans and these creatures. I think that, that, that guy who was on, on, on your show talking about Mumbai, uh, they are now in an area where they are taking dogs, they are taking cats, they are taking young kids, because yeah. they're forced in that situation perhaps because of the territories. All I'm saying is is that if it gets to the point where there's that many cats and they've all got their areas staked out, and the only areas that are left are kind of places like Gateshead or places like Newcastle, and they're fighting for food then, could that then be a bit of a concern? It may never happen. Well, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, yeah, sure. I think that is a long, long way off. Yeah. I think a particularly a young male who has to be pushed out and find his own territory. Right. Uh, he he can. I think he can be stressed in his early stages before he settles down and finds the right place. But in terms of going back to Mumbai, well, they did have a sort of spike of activity about five to ten years ago when there were a few human casualties. Yeah. That has really settled down now. Right. The local people have had more awareness raising and are of alert to the leopards. The dogs that are taken are almost exclusively feral dogs, who some of which are rabid. So it is welcome, a bit of predation yeah. that happens there. Yeah. So it's partly that the leopards are seen as part of the scene. People have, I think, really learnt to live with them quite well in Mumbai now. I don't think one can ever be complacent, but... You do have to weigh out the pros and cons and be alert to the potential risks and issues, certainly. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, yeah but I suppose the initial answer is that the one I'm, I favour more, though, that is, I'm absolutely delighted that I've seen the puma in this country and I'm delighted that they're there. I, I just really hope someone else in the North East sees one 
as well, because then people will think I'm daft, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> there is a history of sightings, and particularly of Puma as well, yes. actually, in County Durham and the North East. So. Great. And it's great that we were able to sort of find somebody who's had a very recent sighting to cap it off. So very grateful to you, Gareth, for all of this. Yeah. Before we leave you, Gareth, there's any other final points you want to raise? There's a lot of people who aren't reasonable. Some people just go into panic mode. Well, the stupidest things. Frank Tunbridge himself, we had a report of one near a new housing estate in Gloucestershire a few years ago. And Frank was asked to go and speak to this lady. She was scared to go out of her front door to her car. Oh, yeah, another one. We had a person who owned a holiday home in the Cotswolds Mm -hmm. told Frank that they, these Italian people came every year to rent the cottage in the Cotswolds and loved walking and loved the Gloucestershire countryside. And when she said goodbye to them uh, this week, they, she said, oh, did you have your normal nice sort of walking in the Cotswolds? And they said, no, we just went, got in the car and went shopping in Gloucester and went to the cinema. We kept out the countryside because we read the report about the big cat. <laughs> That's what you're up against. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that those people obviously believe the stories, but they take, they're not aware of how uh, shy and, uh, and as you saw, that how pumas do react. I mean, there's a great bit of stuff on the internet about pumas reacting to... About five years ago, somebody did an experiment, some academics did an experiment in America, and they put recordings of human voices by places where they knew that pumas were going because they were radio-collared. And they had camera trap footage, and you could see the pumas, a bit like you said, you know, the reaction to the human voice. They were absolutely panicked and bolted away mm. straight away. That's what this one, not a panic. It was, it was almost like I, I give an electric shock. <laughs> Another way yes. it bounced up. Yeah, incredible. What a sighting, yeah. Amazing. Can I ask one question? Yeah. yeah. I'll listen to your podcasts, right? And, w- and one of the yeah. things that was said was that pum- female pumas make a noise like a screaming woman. Yes, definitely. De- is, that, is that right? Yes. Uh, you can listen to it. Google it. You I'm know, going you to I'll tell to you what I want to listen to it for. I used to work at a place called Doxford Park in Sunderland. We had the last unit, a big call centre it was, the last unit. And behind us was like a, a country path Behind that was field after field after field after field, all the way up to Durham. Me and the star I was working with and the personnel officer, we heard a girl screaming for ages. Ah, do you know what I mean? And we thought someone yeah. was getting raped. So me and my mates, Interesting. we climbed over the fence into this wasteland under the path, ran up the path looking for this girl who was screaming. Yeah. There was nobody there. Very interesting indeed. There's yeah. nobody there. Yeah. So well, it just got me thinking, I wonder whether that was, I wonder if it was a puma screaming like that, you yeah. know? I will listen to it and, and yeah. I'll get back to you. Yes. Well, it's, it is very distinct. I mean, there's nothing conclusive in that whatsoever, but... Um, no, but sure. But you know, when I heard that, I thought, do you know what? That reminds me of that time when I heard yeah. the screaming, I thought, what on earth? There's some girl getting murdered out there. And like I say, maybe me, we scaled this fence that was six foot tall, this fence. It was one of those, um, like... Those like chicken mesh fences, but they've got the plastic coating on the green plastic coating. We're wearing suits. We scrambled over that to save this girl's life in this little country pathway behind. And there was nobody there. We looked at each other, we were puzzled, thinking, we heard her, she was just there. Yeah. And if it went on for quite a bit, which it can do, repeat. I mean, we heard it at least four or five times, the scream. The personnel officer was there. She says, go and see what's going on there, lads, go on. Yeah. Something bad's happened there. So me and my mate, she was happy to release you from work. Yeah, yeah. So me and my mate were over that fence and having a look to see what on earth was going on, and uh, there yes. was nobody there. Amazing. Yeah. Well, could be. Yeah. But do do listen to I it. I will on listen the, to it. Yeah. The, you know, just Google. Yeah. yeah well, 
Well, Gareth, I'm really grateful for you coming on the show and talking through all of those situations. Amazing that uh, you started with a sighting in Florida and you've got the family history of, of two very different reports in different parts of the Northeast. So, Gareth, we're really grateful for you coming on Big Cat Conversations. If there's any other reports that we hear about, we'll relay them to you and we'll relay them to Ian, who takes the records in the Northeast. So many thanks indeed. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much. Before we sign off, a reminder that on the Big Cat Conversations website under episode 11, there are links to references on the Florida panther and some wonderful photos of pumas in Florida and in Patagonia. And there's a link to the videos showing how pumas flee even from their food when hearing a human voice, as we were talking about with Gareth earlier on. And finally, advance notice on some coming shows... We plan an episode on Cumbria and the Lake District, but we're rescheduling that, but we hope to have it out before Christmas. But more immediately, we have episodes coming up on Lincolnshire and on rewilding. In Lincolnshire, there's been a cluster of interesting reports in the past year, including of standard farm feral cats being predated by a black panther. We'll be looking into that with a couple of guests from the area. Also coming soon, we'll be delving into rewilding and the related ideas of reintroducing the Eurasian lynx in Britain. We'll consider how the big cats here already relate to rewilding and how the Eurasian lynx fits in. The lynx is, of course, our former native larger cat here in Britain. It gets called the little cat with a big attitude, and we'll discuss why in the rewilding episode coming up. Thanks for listening, everyone, and hopefully see you back for episode 12. All the best. 